I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land upon which this recording takes place, the Wadundi and Bububun people of Woodachup in the southwest Bujara region in Noongar Buja, also known as Margaret River. I acknowledge their continuing connection to the land, waters and community. I pay respect to their elders, past, present and emerging. Hey there, welcome back to the Men, Sex and Pleasure podcast. I'm your host, Cam Fraser. This is actually part one of episode 52. This is a special episode where we're talking about masculinity, sexuality, male bodies and men's experiences of pleasure. It's special because it's a two-part episode just with me. (laughs) So you get to listen to me for the next hour um, in celebration of... 52 episodes. I release one episode a week. So this is a whole year worth of episodes and a whole year of the men, sex and pleasure podcast. So I'm, yeah, I'm just super grateful that I've been able to have so many chats with 51 different guests and experts in their respective fields. Um, and so I wanted to, I wanted to celebrate by, um, yeah, doing a little special episode and, by talking into something that I get asked about on a daily basis. So every day I receive a message or I get a comment or I get an email or I get some correspondence from someone somewhere in the world asking me some sort of question about pornography. I get asked about porn every single day without fail. And I have a lot of opinions about porn And I've shared a little bit of those opinions on social media before, on my Instagram, on my Facebook, on YouTube. And I find it really difficult to, I guess, explain my opinions every single time someone asks me about pornography, especially if like, is porn good or bad? Is porn addictive or not addictive? Are you anti-porn or pro-porn? I find it really simplistic and constricting to narrow down my views into a kind of binary good versus bad black versus white um kind of reductive argument so uh, to explain that every single time uh, becomes very uh, becomes very tedious it becomes uh, impossible really so i wanted to spend the next uh two hours actually so this is a two-part two one-hour part um episode just speaking into like all the nuances of my opinions regarding pornography. And, you know, there was stuff that I didn't even cover in this particular uh, episode, uh, things that I thought about afterwards. And I was like, oh, I should have said that. So this is definitely not comprehensive. And you'll hear me say that throughout the, the episode. But if you're interested in my opinions about porn, maybe you've saw me post about it. Maybe you want to learn a little bit more. Maybe you're just open to some new perspectives. Uh, this is not trying to convince you of anything. This is just me, Freudian style, stream of consciousness, just uh, you know, spewing uh, word vomit about pornography for the next two hours. So uh, I think there's some interesting stuff in here. You maybe will agree and resonate, but I had an enjoyable time just drinking coffee and sitting down and having this episode recorded. So I hope you enjoy listening. 
It is the teacher's duty to enlighten their students on the commonly accepted standards of sexual behavior. These sperm cells are carried through the tubes in a thick colorless liquid called semen and at certain times are expelled through the penis. Side effects include headache, flushing, upset stomach, and abnormal vision. To avoid long-term injury, seek immediate medical help for an erection lasting more than four hours. Okay, if you're listening to this episode, uh, hopefully you know who I am. I'm Cam, and I am stoked to be celebrating a year of my podcast, the Men, Sex, and Pleasure podcast. This is my episode, Just Me, so flying solo today, and I'm going to be talking about something I get asked all the time about, which is porn. And, you know, what's my intention conversation, one-sided conversation, and uh, this episode in particular? It's not to convince anyone of anything i don't want to convert anyone to anything i don't persuade or debate um yeah i'm not going to put forward a specific argument for a specific position um i i guess like think of this as like a fireside chat some, some armchair philosophy so to speak right i'm not a I'm not a porn scholar. I haven't done any of my own studies on pornography. I'm not a neuroscientist. Uh, I'm not a clinicist. I'm just a dude who talks a lot about sexuality online, uh, who coaches men predominantly, uh, and I get asked about porn on a regular basis. On a day-to-day basis, I have conversations about porn. I've got my my coffee for people that are watching. Um, I've got my coffee here. I'm just going to sit down and go through a couple of ideas that have been floating around in my head about this discussion of pornography and some things that I online and I've kind of said here and there. Um, but the platform, typically Instagram and Facebook, that I use to talk about my ideas and pornography is particularly uh doesn't really allow nuance and the depth of discussion that I want to have. So that's what this particular podcast is about. It's to air my opinions. It's to air my um, limited understanding. Again, I'm just one guy who's done a bit of reading. And (laughs) really, honestly, if if someone asks me what's my opinion on porn, rather than having to type out my whole answer to them, I can say, hey, here's this episode number 52 on my podcast. I talk all about my opinions of porn. Have a listen. That's essentially my my intention for this. So um, I guess, where do I start? I got a lot of things I want to say, uh, and this is a big topic. So I want to, I want to start by saying um, straight off the bat, I'm not anti-porn. And We'll discuss more of that and I, I'm just kind of really mindful that th- there are a lot of people probably listening to this and I definitely in my audience, in, in my community, uh, my colleagues even that are uh, staunch anti-porn um, believers, even activists as well. 
involved in campaigns to um, to enact policy against pornography, uh, which is, I was going to say, which is fine, but I don't necessarily think it is fine. And, and I guess the reason why I think the anti-porn, pro-porn kind of debate, this very binary debate is, um, I don't think it's that simple. So although I'm not anti-porn and I'll just second, I'm also not pro-porn. I don't consider myself pro-porn. I would consider myself anti-anti-porn <laughs> uh, to, to just get really confusing with you. Uh, but I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm definitely not and I'm, I wouldn't consider myself pro-porn because I don't think the debate is good versus bad or black versus white or this really simplistic binary thinking. I, I think to, to reduce pornography and the whole conversation around porn into pro versus anti is doing the whole conversation and doing the whole uh, philosophy of pornography a bit of a, a disservice. Um, and that's kind of, again, one of the reasons why I wanted to do this podcast is because, yeah, having to express all of the reasons why I'm not anti-porn in like a very limited capacity in a Instagram post is uh, is difficult. So I wanted to speak into a few things. And, you know, I, I guess like uh, even though I'm not anti-porn, I'm familiar with the anti-porn arguments. You know, I've I've read Gail Dine, read Andrea Dworkin, uh, Catherine McKinnon. Uh, you know, there's there's the the kind of newer age, uh, quote unquote, science based uh, guys uh, like Gary Wilson from Your Brain and Porn and Clay Olg. Uh, you've got like the the uh, religious um, anti pornography activists as well. Uh, someone like Matt Frad, who's like a the Catholic, I suppose. And um, then there's, who else we've got? Uh, what's his name? Craig Gross. Craig Gross, I think, from the Triple X Church. Uh, then you've got someone who's like uh, a bit more out there, someone like Judith Reisman as well uh, of the Reisman Institute, who's like anti, uh, I'll say. Um, so I'm I, like, I've read them. I know them. I know they exist. I know about the anti-pornography argument. So I wanted to like start there and say like, I'm not oblivious to it. I'm, I'm not um, ignorant to harm that some pornography is causing. And, you know, I, I do not want to minimize the relationship struggles that people have gone through, right? This t tends to be a very emotional, conversation and i really want to acknowledge and 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 i understand that i i get it i, I I've, I've you know worked with guys that have really struggled with their porn viewing um and people have messaged me uh the of some of these guys that i work with have messaged me saying hey it's really bad and it's it's uh destroying our relationship and i, I and i and i see it so i i i want to not take anything away from that. I understand that there that's been done and there are guys struggling with their um with their porn viewing. And I, I say guys here because that's the realm that I work in, but I, I know there's women and trans people 
identifying with problematic porn viewing as well. So, um, but I'll, I'll kind of refer to men because that's the domain that I work in. It's what I know more about, I'll say. Um, so, yeah, I want to acknowledge that. Like if you've been hurt by by pornography or if you've been um, subject to abuse because of um, some unethical pornography practices or if you've been affected by it detrimentally in some way, I'm not trying to take that away from you. That's not what this is about. And I fully honor any healing that you need to do or that you have done. And that leads me into a second thing that I want to acknowledge, which is like the people that are work around pornography, addiction, recovery, and um, people that are working with um, uh, people that are working with survivors of exploitation and abuse because of the pornography industry or a section of the pornography industry like you you're you're doing good work you like i, I don't want to like i'm not here to to say that you're doing something wrong that's not again what i what i want to do with this conversation side chat so to speak like if 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 you're healing and you're helping and people are finding help and health through your therapy and through your modality or if you're one of those people that are seeking out you're you're identifying as an addict or you're, you or you've been exploited or you've been abused um or you're or or whatever um whatever your uh your concern is or whatever your whatever you're seeking treatment for getting that help and it's and it's helping you that's amazing like you're you're on a journey to recovery and healing and and you're getting the the help that you need like that's fantastic i don't want to diminish that either so so i acknowledge that there's there's uh i guess what i'm what i can sum this up in is like not all porn is good like i'm not here to go porn is because i'm i'm not trying to say that 100% of porn is okay and that you can watch it and it's not going to have any effect on you and that there's nothing wrong with the industry and we should just forget about it and this whole conversation yeah, that is not my position at all i don't support mainstream porn i think there's a lot of things wrong with it i think it is doing some damage i don't support this is in terms of production and um, advertising and the commercialization of these big porn conglomerations, these big porn giants, these companies in the industry, practices that they are doing. I don't support the way that a lot of, again, men, but people in general are using porn as well. I think that's another part of the conversation that tends to the the way that men are masturbating to porn and again i'll speak all into these kind of points so that's why i'm not pro porn because i, I, I there's a discussion to be had and the dangers and the damage that porn is having but where i think the nuance is really important is where we start to talk about like okay well let's define porn if you know, and this is important. 
but I'm not anti-porn because I don't think 100% of porn is bad, but I'm not pro-porn because I don't think 100% of porn is good, then what do I consider quote-unquote good porn and what do I consider quote-unquote bad porn? And and this kind of ties into a conversation um, what, like what's good, what's bad, what, what, do we, what, what even is pornography? Um, and I, I posted about, uh, about this the other day on social media and, you know, the definition of pornography, which is uh, like ex- sexually, or well, it's explicit images and videos of um, the sex acts and, and uh, body parts with the intention to elicit arousal. Well, that's a very, very loosely paraphrased, very butchered. But the, the idea is like that's also adopted by a lot of psychology and sociology, which is, you know, it's explicit. It is um, depicting either an image or a video of sex acts or, um, or sexual stimulation. And it's made with the intent to uh, increase arousal. It's a very rudimentary definition of pornography that's used to study porn as well. And, you know, the, the problem with that is uh, that we can take umbrage with certain elements of that definition, for example, like what, what's explicit, how do we explicit, you know, 50 years ago, 60, 70 years ago, even when we first started having the, um, the technology to, to film things, right? And we had the first kiss that was ever on screen. Uh, we had like the first striptease or, you know, whatever, whatever we would today consider pretty standard in any kind of Hollywood movie that was considered really explicit back then. Um, Mores and values changed over the last half a century. Our understanding of what is and isn't explicit has shifted as well. It's like that's a that's a, a an issue in and of itself. Um, but also like the the way that we're including or, or what we're including underneath the understanding of like depicting sects acts and it's like well what I, and i know because i've i've kind of looked into the research here so it's like what some researchers are doing are including anything that involves nudity in that um because it's depicting a a sex act and they itself as a sexual act when that's in my opinion not necessarily the case you can be nude and not be sexual um and you can be sexual and not nude and then there's other researchers that that exclude anything that doesn't involve aroused genitals. So, you know, there has to be an erection involved, a flaccid penis, according to these researchers and the research they're doing on porn. If it's a flaccid penis, then it doesn't sexually depicting a, a sex act or, or, you know, it doesn't have the intent to, to arouse. And that's another issue is... How do we know what the intention behind it was? This is the intention piece is where the conversation about pornography 
comes in, right? Is it pornographic or is it erotic? Is it intended to depict this artistic expression of the sensuality of the human body, uh, which quote unquote makes it erotic? Is it meant to titillate and excite and uh, increase sexual arousal, which would make it pornographic? And even those two things are pretty murky and pretty muddy because some pornography can be very artistic and very sensual and, and erotica could be almost bordering on quote unquote pornographic or could be made with the intention to elicit arousal, even though it is quite artistic and sensual. So that becomes a, a, a debate as well of, of like, what's the difference between those two? Um, and so all of this murky waters, so to speak, when it comes to research, uh, leads us into this subjective understanding of what pornography is, which is the know it when I see it mentality or, or approach. And that was, um, that was the, the famous saying in um, the 1960s obscenity trials uh, around obscene images in, uh, in, in film these, the kind of golden era of porn uh, in the 1960s and 70s uh, by US Supreme Court Chief Justice, I think his name's Stuart Potters, um, was determining whether this particular video that was um, alleged to be obscene, it was a hardcore, quote unquote, hardcore porn video. And he was kind of asked part of this trial to define what hardcore porn is and I'll, I'll paraphrase here but he said look i probably you know i'm not going to try and i probably can't even define what hardcore pornography is but it and this particular video was not a hardcore porn video and um and he's so that that's the that, that kind of exemplifies his statement kind of exemplifies the approach that a lot of us take to pornography uh, and, and also you know, not even us, the lay people, but also what researchers use to define pornography when they're studying it. Um, the, to go back to the lay person, kind of us people that are probably listening to this and myself in this, oftentimes what jumps out to us when we think of pornography or the, the kind of image that we get in our head is that kind of mainstream tube site hardcore um esque uh, video and when i talk about porn typically i don't you know i, I won't define porn because i think having to go having to go through this whole conversation every time i talk about porn is so every time i talk about porn that I know that is the assumption that a lot of people have or that's the definition that a lot of people have or that's the image that gets conjured up when I talk about porn because that's what people reflect back to me. They say, oh, all these tube sites, oh, all this you know, hardcore, you know, and, they'll, and they'll cite like Brazzers and, and the, the major porn companies. So because those are the, the layperson's understanding of what porn is, that is the definition for pornography for a lot of people um regardless of that whole conversation i've just had for a lot of people they jump straight to oh yeah pornhub and the hardcore porn that's on there 
interesting, this is just a little sidebar here. This is what I spoke about on, on Instagram was there's an interesting project called the Porn Genome Project by um, Taylor Kohut, uh, who's a Canadian researcher. And he's looking to um, like definitively and clearly find out what classifies something as pornographic. Uh, and he, I'll put it up on screen uh, here if you're watching, um, but you can go to my Instagram to look at the image. Uh, side-by-side image comparing a uh, kind of red-headed woman in a bikini just kind of lounging on a chair uh, and then the same image kind of mirrored next to her uh, but this one has like a um, red masking over it so it's kind of like um, kind of looks like Swiss cheese <laughs> red Swiss cheese kind of filter over the top of it and um and so, like, through the Swiss cheese circles, you kind of see the image behind um, the red foreground. And the way that this kind of red masking is laid over the top of this image of this woman in a bikini, it, it kind of um, covers up her clothing. It covers up the bikini that she's wearing. And it covers up a lot of the other images. You kind of see a little bit of her stomach and you see a little bit of her legs. And it's the exact same image, just with a, a mask over the top of it. And... When you look at this image and, and what um, Kohut found when he was uh, sharing this image, that the one with the mask over it, the red kind of Swiss cheese mask over it, people considered that image more pornographic than just the regular photo of this woman sitting on a chair in a bikini. The reason why people were saying that the image with the red Swiss cheese over it was because you couldn't see her bikini. And if you look at this photo, hopefully you'll kind of fall into that. Oh yeah, this for some reason does look more pornographic and you'll understand what I'm talking about. But because you can't see the bikini, you can't see her clothing, it kind of looks a little bit more pornographic. Um, But, and that's kind of the intuitive understanding of it. But then there's also the reasoning, which is, you actually can't like there's actually less skin on show in that second image than there is in the first image because of the way the red swiss cheese kind of covers up the image there's actually for you to see even though it is covering up her clothes it's also covering up more of her skin uh so it's like you know like there's nothing there's no research out there which you know kind of uses this model of what's present and what's not present in a pornographic image or video or whatever it is to determine whether someone considers it porn or not, right? One man's porn is another man's, you know, B-grade. So again, this subjectivity is not taken into account a lot of the time in porn research. So that's a big, big problem. Um, And then it's like, you know, I've mentioned hardcore porn a few times here, but then there's the distinction between hardcore porn and softcore porn. Like when we're, like I said, when we're talking about porn, a lot of people jump to this idea of really hardcore, um, intense, degrading, um, kind of Brazzers-esque videos and images. But what about softcore porn, which might only involve like a person strip teasing and doing it really, you know, promiscuously or 
um, with the intention to arouse. And it fits all those definitions of what pornography is, right? Softcore porn um, can be more central and can kind of lead, lean more towards the erotica side of things. But um, but sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it's still softcore, explicitly pornographic. Um, so, you know, are we... Are we distinguishing between those two when it comes to when it comes to porn research and, and talking about pornography in general and, and the type of porn that people are accessing? It tends to be something that's not often taken into consideration. So that's a big chunk of the whole debate, firstly, is like what is pornography? And that can get a little heady and a little um, academic. So, uh, so it's useful to kind of bring things down to um, – to like what the lay person would think of, which is like I've said before, that kind of Brazzers-esque mainstream tube site, hardcore porn. And that's often the default definition when I'm talking about the harms of porn and, and what can be considered detrimental and damaging from viewing that particular type of porn. So that's the, <laughs> to get to that point, um, to winding to So a bit of food for thought, something that um, oftentimes that type of related to that kind of hardcore porn, mainstream tube site, yada, 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 is um, it gets equated to a drug. Uh, and there's, you know, obviously I mentioned before, Clay Olson from Fight the New Drug has this whole drug analogy um, that porn is the quote-unquote new drug and that's you know been endorsed by people like terry cruz and i know russell brand has done a thing for um, gail dines is always talking on finding new drugs so it's it's that's in of um anti-porn uh, pro, you know, uh proponents maybe uh, but people that are anti-porn tend to oftentimes have um this analogy that porn is like a drug and that it's it, drug and that it affects the brain like a drug and um and so like if i'm talking and if i'm continuing my own personal philosophical understanding of pornography like i'm not anti-drug so you know that that's that's logically consistent or philosophically consistent with my view of also not being anti-porn right so i'm like someone asked a couple of times, like, oh, you know, you, you say this about pornography, but would you say the same thing about drugs? And I say, yeah, I do say the same thing about drugs. I'm not anti-drug. I don't think that we sh- I don't think prohibition works. I don't think we should criminalize these high tier schedule one, you know, substances. <clears throat> I think we need to, excuse me. Um, I think we need to decriminalize. And beyond that, I also think we need to, to educate and and you know legalize as well certain certain substances i think that there should be regulations and, and restrictions put on um but i don't think we should be criminalizing and um and prohibiting drugs on a huge tangent about drugs um, i want to stick to to porn um but my personal philosophy is 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 not anti-drug, so I try to be consistent. I am. I feel like I am consistent. I'm also not anti-porn. I'm not like anti-alcohol. I'm not anti. 
anti video games, which is something else I want to talk about. Um, so uh, I believe de- decriminalization and, and education is more effective than prohibition and the war on drugs and the war on porn and the war on whatever. I think not working. So, but there's more, there's more to this drug analogy, right? And, and so some problems that I've identified or that I've just kind of observed as I've paid attention to this porn is a drug analogy. It's been called both um, a gateway drug. It's been, it's been called like a um, equivalent of like marijuana or alcohol. And it's like, once you start watching porn, then you, and you escalate into other things and i'll talk about escalation in a little bit but uh, so it's been likened to a gateway it's like porn is a is a gateway drug but then there's other claims by the same people i've seen this on like fight the new drug website um saying you know one article saying porn is a gateway drug but then another article um saying that porn uh has the same effect on the brain as heroin okay or cocaine which are you know very hard drugs and um and uh, like like which one is it <laughs> like make up your mind you, you can't have your kind of your cake and eat it too and say that it's a both a gateway drug and a hard drug like it, it's got to be got to be both if you're comparing it to a drug so the drug analogy kind of yeah there um and you know the the thing that kind of really drives home for me this drug analogy is that like you you die from a porn overdose. You can't consume so much porn that you'll die because of the quote unquote substance that you've ingested. And beyond that as well, you you can't die from porn withdrawal like you can from a um, you know, hard drug withdrawal like heroin, for example. So because you can't OD and you can't with, you know, you can't have this withdrawal syndrome, the drug analogy again, kind of falls a bit flat for me. Um, and like, I've got no problem, I'll say with people porn can be addictive, right? Because I agree that behaviors can be addictive, right? I'm not, I'm not say that they're not. Right? I know that gambling is a diagnosable addiction. I know that we've got, um, you know, like uh, internet addiction is now something that's been recognized. And understand behavioral addictions. Uh, or impulse control disorders. And I think, yes, I think words and semantics are important. So yes, I do think there is a realistic difference between an impulse and an addiction. And I do think it's important to be mindful of using compulsion and addiction when referring to your behavior. Um, so if anything, like a problematic porn viewing habit is more like a behavioral addiction like gambling or, um, or, 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 you know, even in the lay person's understanding, or even uh, I think it was Russell Brand in his book, Addiction, kind of like the reframing of addiction to be a bit more inclusive 
like diagnostic is you can be addicted to anything, right? You can be addicted to something um, like a relationship. You can be addicted to a person. You can be addicted to shopping. You can be addicted to reading. It's it's not the uh, the way that, for, again, from Russell Brand's kind of book, it isn't necessarily the the thing that is addictive. Right? Reading or shopping isn't inherently addictive, but it's the reasoning behind why you're engaging that behavior that's causing that compulsion or that quote-unquote addiction. So, yes, I think there's something to be said for expanding or broadening the term addiction in a kind of societal sense that people like clinicians and psychiatrists and forensic sexologists in offering testimony in criminal trials having to use precise words, right? And I know that might be a bit a bit separated and a bit, you know, far from kind of where we are as having a conversation about porn, but language matters in using the word compulsion versus addiction in a criminal trial for someone who's, you know, done, uh, you know, a sex crime, for example. There's been instances where they've been labeled a porn addict or a sex addict, even though those aren't yet classifiable, diagnosable um, mental health disorders. I say yet because we're probably on the verge of them becoming uh, more researched and maybe even um, included in the DSM and the ICD. In criminal trials where someone's been labeled an addict who has a legitimate disorder as addiction is, they've gotten a lesser sentence or they've been, um, they've had a more lenient sentence applied because the mental health um, circumstances surrounding their criminal actions or their sexually criminal actions. So I think it's important to have defined words and have a conversation about the difference between compulsion and addiction. And, and I don't want to get into this rabbit hole. Um, again, I, I just want to kind of broadly express my opinions about porn here. So I think that's you know, an important take and people aren't, you know, again, it's, it's a bit removed from the everyday conversations about porn and, and what you and I might be talking about. But it is something to be mindful of when it gets into those specific circumstances, like clinical and forensic. And the last thing that kind of comes up for me when I think of this drug or porn equals drug analogy is a new book that came out by um, Carl Hart. Carl Hart is a, um, I think he's a neuroscientist or a, studies neuro neuropsychology but his book drug use for grown-up and um i haven't read it all the way through i'll I'll admit that Uh, but i'm familiar with what he talks about in there and and he talks about you know he's a successful harvard phd uh and written a book obviously um 
very well-respected academic. And he also uses heroin recreationally. And so like this spanner in the works, or maybe it doesn't throw a huge spanner, but it, it, it highlights something for me, which is like, okay, even if we are saying that porn is a drug, which a lot of these anti-porn people will, you know, will, will say, doesn't necessarily, and again, this maybe is my own anti-drug bias coming through, but doesn't necessarily mean that it that's, that's a horrible thing, right? Like you can still, like Carl Hart talks about and demonstrates, you can still drugs and be a productive member of society and lead a healthy, successful, loving life. You know, just because you take a drug doesn't mean you become an addict, right? So a substance may be addictive, but you can use it recreationally and intentionally and mindfully and under the right circumstances and not get addicted to it. So I think that conversation that's kind of swept under the rug. And, um, and I think that the sweeping under the rug is done on the behalf of like not necessarily the people that are saying porn is a drug, but right. So there's kind of this moral public panic about illicit substances and, and hard, hard drugs. And so like saying porn is a drug, people are going, Oh God, like, you know, these young people are going to once and then they're going to become heroin addicts. Like it's, that's not, <laughs> that's not necessarily how things work, right? Not everyone who has one sip of alcohol becomes an alcoholic. So um, I think saying porn is like a drug, are relying on people like us hearing it, jumping to those conclusions and kind of filling in those gaps uh, for ourselves and making the assumptions that um, if you watch porn once, you're going to, you're going to become this, child predator which is a you know uh, that might seem like a, a big leap to you but i've seen that argument being put forward uh, and i'll talk about it it's it's the escalation argument um that if you watch porn you're going to go down this huge watching child pornography and, and becoming a child sex predator so 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 yeah i know that's heavy and we'll probably talk about some more of that and a bit more heavy stuff um but that's not how things happen. That's not how things progress. So I have a, a thought experiment here um, that I, I've just kind of been like putting together in my own last couple of days as I kind of lead into recording this. And it's this idea of like, like if you are against Porn. So you, you are anti-porn. You kind of identify with that ideology and, and you're happy to defend it. Like my thought experiment for you and, and for people in general is like where, like, where do you draw the line then? So I'll just let that ruminate as I take a sip. So what do I mean by this? What do I mean by like, where do you draw the line? So the first question is like, well, can an, can an individual record themselves masturbating. Can, can I record myself in the privacy of my own bedroom jerking off? <laughs> just fucking 
<laughs> having a snap, just ripping one out, you know, just furiously masturbating. Just put a video camera up or just have my phone out and just record myself. I'm not going to show anyone. I'm not going to do anything with it. Like I, I'm just going to record it and because I just want to watch it. I just want to watch it myself. I just get off on getting myself off. That's pornography, right? Or, or is it? Does, does your definition of pornography change? Does it not fit that, that specific scenario, right? So can, so again, that question, that first question, can an individual record themselves masturbating? If you're a no, if you're a hardline, no, you shouldn't do that. That's wrong. Like then, okay, cool. That's <laughs> wicked. <laughs> you, I've lost you. I can't, there's no coming back. My opinion is that's totally fine. You're in the privacy of your own room. It's acceptable. So I'm sorry, we're on two different pages. If, if you're already saying no to that, then I'm, um, I, I, I can't bring you back from that, nor would I really want to. That's not my intention. Again, I'm not trying to convince you of anything. Do yes to that question, then okay, let's, let's, you know, let's keep on following down this trajectory then. Can a couple record themselves having sex in the privacy of their own room? They both consented to it. And when it's just, just for their eyes only. Again, that's, that would be considered pornographic, right? It's explicit, sex acts, yada, 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 fits the definition perfectly. Are you against that? If you're anti-porn, you know, that particular scenario, a couple recording themselves having sex. Again, let's follow this trajectory. Does... Does that couple, right, if you're okay with them filming them, do they need to be in a relationship? Right? Is it only acceptable if they're in a committed relationship, right? What if, yeah, and, and oh, I guess like, or, or would it be okay if they were, if they just met, if, they, if it was a one night stand, if, it was, if this was the, you know, they, they, their first date and uh, they were both into it and it was agreed upon and they weren't going to show anyone else. They just thought it'd be fun. Whatever, I don't care. Um, you know, are, you, are you for one and against the other? Are you maybe saying that you know, they can in a relationship, wrong, quote unquote, wrong for them to do it if it was there, you know, if they'd just met, if they were almost strangers and if you're yes to one and no to the other then what point does it become okay in their relationship do they have to be dating for a month do they have to be dating for a year do they have to be dating for 10 years before it becomes okay for them as a couple to film themselves having sex to produce pornographic material at what point and then also like at like if it's for personal use, which is what we've been talking about right now, is it okay? But what if they start sharing it with their close friends? What if they have, if they're in an open relationship, they share it with their other partners? Right, so they're they're producing porn. Maybe this is not even your. Maybe this is not even your definition of porn. Again, like this idea of mainstream tube site hardcore porn. Right. Well, what if they are fucking like that? What if they are? Maybe not exactly. 
<clears throat> but what if it is like really intense porn that they're producing just for themselves, just to share with their close friends? What if they share it online? What if they have their own personal website and they make it available for free? People can access it and just kind of watch it. They sell it online. At what point does it become not okay? If at any point. So this thought experiment is actually played out in real life before. Um, there's a criminal case from the 1980s in the UK called Operation Spanner. It was um, this kind of like task force, obscenity task force actually, that investigated a uh, private uh, gay sadomasochistic group in the UK. So this group of men, they'd met through forums and, and through, I think, ads in the, the paper and things like that. And um, they'd, have a, they'd have a sex party, they'd have a, they'd have a, a, a S&M session, sadomasochism uh, session. And they'd record it, they'd record these sessions, right? Everyone, everyone consented to it. You know, everyone was happy for it to be recorded. They um, would record in certain ways so as not to get people's defining features like tattoos or faces and things in them. Um, and they they weren't mass they were VHS videos that kept that were kept within the club, right? Their own private club, their own private group, and they were just shared around from the members. Uh, one of these tapes uh, and it was shown to the to the police and so i don't want to go too deep into this whole operation but the police started investigating and eventually tracked down um this group and and 16 of their members they were brought to criminal trial and they were actually you know 16 members were, were prosecuted uh, 16 men were prosecuted eight were sentenced to prison for um, assault, uh, occasioning actual bodily harm, and unlawful wounding, uh, as well as other offences related to their private consensual. All these men testified as well to it being consensual. So under oath, they testified. Um, sadomasochistic sex acts. And so obviously within the context of the UK at the time, the kind of anti-homophobic, uh, the anti Homosexual, the, the homophobic rhetoric was pretty strong and yada, 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 all this other pretty intense cultural stuff was happening. This idea that it was like they were making a statement against homosexuality, they were making a statement against BDSM. Regardless of all that, these men that filmed video, filmed pornographic video, yes, it was sadomasochistic, but filmed porn privately in their own homes. They weren't selling... I think they might have been, I don't know, but they, they, they weren't selling for the most part, predominantly they weren't selling. It was for private home use for the people in their club. And they were sent to prison for it. So, you know, this thought experiment is kind of grounded in, in that idea of like, well, 
what role does the state and the in regulating what adults can consensually do to each other in the privacy of their own homes. So that's a question maybe for another day. Um, and their thought experiment. Because what I've described, I suppose, is what might be considered ethical porn. Um, what I mean by this is like, it's about you know myself filming myself. I've consented to that. I, I'm you know I haven't harmed anyone in the production of that. Like it's pretty much above board. It's pretty much ethical. Uh, but also the couple that's filming themselves, both of them agreed to it, consented to it. Even if it was shared online, if they both said they were okay with it, they understood you know with informed consent the ramifications of putting something online. They might never be able to take it down. Everything it was you know talked about. No one's that context is is although it's pornographic it's it's ethically produced in a sense and i'm not saying that every couple that uploads something online is ethically doing it but i'm saying that that is oftentimes more ethical than these mainstream companies which are producing commercial pornography and the practices behind their you know behind their product so i've ethical porn like what's what's the difference then between mainstream versus ethical or sometimes called feminist porn ethical slash feminist sometimes those words are used interchangeably some people define them differently um porn it's you know like we've like i've spoken about before it's it's the lay person's definition of pornography which is you know that tube site um it's it's accessible it's affordable and it's anonymous those three a's are what lends um mainstream porn to being quite detrimental as well uh is uh especially people that are talking about the addiction model of of pornography like the ability affordability and anonymity are the, the the leading drivers behind porn and using porn being detrimental but mainstream porn is typically made by men for white men right it's made by by you know, my demographic i'm a white dude and it's usually made with the assumption that other white dudes are going to be watching porn right like there's a famous or infamous i'd say controversial study that was like oh yeah we're going to study the effects of porn viewers versus the effects of, of people that don't watch porn and notoriously you know it's now kind of you know a, a, a number that's been thrown around this study couldn't find a control group of men that didn't watch porn, right? That's the that's the kind of tagline of this whole study. Um, and so that's like the assumption is like, this porn is made by guys for guys, right? And guys just wanna see tits and ass and fucking and, and hardcore shit, right? So it makes assumptions about what men want to see. Um, 
And so you can talk about supply and demand here. And I know I have this slogan of stop the demand. Um, uh, that's kind of parroted by someone like Gail Dines as well. Um, and I'll talk about that in a, in a second. Um, but this is in to ethical porn, which is like fair trade. That's what I mean by this is like it's made legally, firstly. Uh, it respects the rights of the performers. Uh, it has, you know, as part of that, has good working conditions and both fantasy and also real world sex, right? It, it celebrates diversity and it's inclusive. You know, like mainstream porn is not very inclusive, right? Something I talk to men a lot about is penises in porn. The average porn penis is three and a half inches bigger than the national or you know global average of a penis. So you're getting this skewed representation of bodies in porn. Um, that's just like one example. There's a whole from porn, um, mainstream porn. Remember um, that ethical porn seeks to subvert and seeks to challenge and seeks to like rewrite being inclusive by being diverse, by having real pleasure shown on screen by sometimes even real couples as well. And this is um, this is like the, the premise of someone like Cindy Gallup's Make Love Not Porn website, which, which produces, it doesn't produce, but it, it showcases real couples like in the thought experiment before filming themselves having sex and then you know talking about consent talking about the pleasure actually enjoying each other's body real affection real pleasure and then them uploading it onto their kind of channel on this make love not porn website and some of these couples are contactable as well so you can reach out to them and and, and things like this like that's that's still porn but it's totally different to that mainstream porn. Then there's also, um, you know, the the feminist porn awards, right? Which are really trying to signal boost a lot of these independent producers or like smaller art house style, you know, film noir um, production companies that are trying to you know, be inclusive and trying to be ethical and um, and the Feminist Porn Awards you know, celebrate that. And, and they, like I wrote down what their kind of tagline is. You know, they said it, it, it's not enough to criticize adult films for not adequately representing the diversity of women's and trans folks and in many cases, men's sexuality. So they decided to do something about it. And there's a, there's a, a famous kind of saying from, ethical porn producer, um, Annie Sprinkle. Um, she's a performer as well. Uh, she says, the answer to bad porn isn't no porn. It's to try and make porn better or to try and make better porn. This is this idea of instead of stopping the demand, right, which is like fight the new drugs, whole policy, Clay Olson's whole policy. Instead of stopping the demand, let's change the demand. Let's hold you know companies accountable let's seek out more diverse and inclusive porn let's educate people about 
ethical porn and feminist porn and the diverse array of porn that's available to them. Let's make those healthy, good, you know, porn more accessible. Let's make it more affordable. Um, let's give people an opportunity to um, to invest in and um, you know emotionally or at least ideologically in this new or different or feminist alternative type of porn that isn't this mainstream shit that's being peddled. So you've got like pornographers like Candida Royale, one of the the godmothers of um, of feminist porn in I think the 1980s she started producing films. Um, but then you've got uh, kind of newer age or, or more modern, more contemporary pornographers um, like Light Southern here in Australia. Um, there's Belessa, I'm pretty sure, um, Erica Lust, although she's had a bit of controversy, I, I believe. Um, uh, women of Colour as well. Um, there's like uh, Damali, uh, Damali Dares, I'm pretty sure. Um, there's Oh, um, the names escape me at the moment, but there, there, there's a whole like really amazing porn being produced, which, you know, challenges these stereotypes in mainstream porn, which can be really celebratory and, um, and can, you know, can help normalize, you know, different size penises and different size breasts and different size bodies and, um, you know, especially like uh, these black feminists and women of color that are producing porn and, and starring in feminist porn, you know, showing black sexuality in a different way and showing men in a different way and showing trans folks in a different way rather than these kind of stereotypical depictions or fetishized depictions in mainstream porn, for example. Like it's a really powerful avenue and medium for um new representations or alternative representations and more inclusive and diverse representations of sexualities regardless of years so education needs to be done on that like oftentimes when i talk about ethical porn people are like what i didn't know that existed what are you what are you fucking talking about and i know there's some um, I won't get too deep into this, but I know there is some like claims that porn can't be ethical, that it's impossible to be ethical. And that's a, a, something that's quite often put forward by um, like your anti-porn feminists, for example. And even like, I know Fight New Drug has, has said that. And I know Matt Frad has said that as well, like the arguments about porn is that it can't be ethical as well so yeah i i personally believe that porn can be ethical which is why i'm not anti-porn because i think there are there are porn producers and performers and you know there is porn out there that is beneficial and that is healthy and that shows really amazing representations and has positive messages about sexuality and can be empowering and that's porn, right? I think to call it something else would be would be um, 
yeah, it would be a, would be a lie. It would be to to detract from what it is, right? Because I don't think porn is inherently bad. So that's like talking about these messages, right? That's that's a that's a, a major concern with like mainstream porn, and and there are, there are a few mainstream porn concerns here, but one of them is those messages, right? Objectifying women, um, size, portraying unrealistic sex. Um, but what about you know? And so and so like if people are if men again, right? That's the people I work with. And if men are watching that, then it's going to be harmful because they're going to, then they're going to objectify women. Then they're going to you know, have anxiety about the size of their cock. Then they're going to think that sex needs to look this way. And yes, that can and has happened. Like, I don't want to say that it's not. I don't want to dismiss it. Those, like, media, the messages that we get from it are going to impact the way that we view the world, right? They're going to inform our understanding of, the world around us and impact the way we we interact with it. So I agree. I agree with that. But again, that's not the whole story. Because what about the messages that we get through, you know, camming, for example, if someone's watching a woman, if a man sexual guy's watching a woman, you know, through a camming website where he's able to interact with her albeit along with maybe a bunch of other people that are watching and and she's in control of of that you know down you know she can block him from commenting or from messaging her or or kick kick him out of the chat room if he's you know being um abusive verbally abusive or if he's being derogatory or, or whatever it might be so like that's a totally different that, that's still porn, still a sex act, very explicit, done with the intention to arouse. Like it's still someone who's consuming porn, but it's yeah, and it can still be considered mainstream, right? It could be a couple on the other end that, that having like really intense, you know, mainstream style pornographic sex. But the way that it's being interacted with is is totally different, right? It's it, it's something that's not really considered when talking about like the effects of pornography it's like it's just something that i think is a counter to this idea that like watching porn automatically objectifies women for example because a, you know, a woman who's camming uh, and again i don't want to say camming is 100 percent you know not objectifying because there'll be some cameras out there being coerced into camming for example and it's not ethical right but i want to be inclusive of that but it, it's a it's a definite shift in the way that this man is consuming or is interacting with pornography and same thing with hentai animated porn it's unrealistic right often <laughs> if you've ever watched hentai if you even know what hentai is you know it's very very unrealistic um and it's meant to be right and because that's the genre of pornography people watch it because it is unrealistic and it's and it's cartoon it's animated as well um and i'm not familiar with a lot of studies who take into account camming and porn consumption right when they're researching the effects that it's having um 
and it's watched because it is unrealistic and because it shows a fantasy. And this like leads into, you know, um, something that I'll talk about a bit is like acting out fantasies in porn and, and using porn to act out fantasies that you don't have the capacity to in real life or that um, want to in real life, uh, but you just kind of want to put your toe in first and kind of see it on screen before you actually live it experientially you know, for yourself. And an example here, I can give a couple of examples, but you know, one of them is someone who's interested in a particular BDSM practice and you know, is a little bit anxious about doing it themselves personally. So they kind of want to watch it on screen first and see how it's acted out and see you know, what it entails. Or maybe someone who has a disability and is maybe confined to a wheelchair, for example, or some other issue. And they can't have sex in a particular way because either their body doesn't allow for it or it's too painful or, or what have you. And so using porn in a way that shows sex can be a way of them enacting something that maybe their body isn't able to do. And then there's a whole other conversation here of like, okay, well, why don't we have porn that includes people with disabilities? It's what a lot of feminist and ethical porn are doing is bringing people with all bodies um, to represent into their into their films and into their into their sex films right into their into their porn so is it always a bad thing which it often is framed as in these anti-porn arguments is it always a bad thing that there's misrepresentations or there's unrealistic um sex depicted in porn that universally bad again because of the examples i've just kind of given my opinion would be no i think there are times when it can be um helpful to have this unrealistic sex act depicted or this fantasy whatever it might be right obviously with considerations for ethicality and diversity inclusivity So that's one kind of problem with porn that people cite is those messages. Escalation, right? And, and I've mentioned this before. There's this, um, there's this idea or this argument that when you start watching porn, you get desensitized to that particular style of porn. So you look for something harder and you look for something more hardcore and you progressively then get more deviant and you'll get more intense and as you get more desensitized you'll eventually lead yourself to perverse porn like bestiality or child porn or, or you know and then you'll then act out these things in real life and then you'll become you know a, a child sex predator right that that's porn arguments i can tell you that is a argument that the anti-porn people put forward and 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 you know people have people have there's plenty of anecdotal um out there people sharing their own journeys saying that they do escalate 
that they do watch softcore softcore porn that becomes not enough for them they watch more hardcore porn and they they seek out more intense stuff like yeah i can i can see that happening i can see people doing it right um but i also speak to a lot of guys about their porn habits and i also have done a little bit of research and there's also the other side of the coin which is people search for turn back to the type of porn that they like right they go and watch uh, milf porn or they go and watch a particular genre of porn um or fetish that they have right they they search for things that they know turn them on that they know they get aroused by and they return back to those things and they don't escalate because they have something that they know floats their boat they have preferences that they lean on and they maybe they they'll kind of um venture outside of those preferences um, every so often but for the most part they return back to the things that they're familiar with that they know are going to turn them on and they look for the newest video in that particular genre for example so i don't think escalation works like as um as concretely as the anti-porn advocates uh, like to espouse. And something that I think is not taken into consideration in this escalation argument is um, algorithms and suggested videos. So I've, I've dabbled in YouTube. I've spent a little bit of time um, on YouTube and and researching um researching some stuff about the platform but all you'll probably know the um the conversation or the argument around the youtube wormhole or the youtube rabbit hole uh, or the the radicalization pipeline um the argument goes drives uh, users towards increasingly extremist content. Right, so, like an example um, is uh, that's being put forward by a bunch of pe- different people, journalists, is um, like you'll watch one particular video on a political commentary, for example. Um, it's, it, it's pretty mundane, pretty mainstream, and the uh, as you kind of watch a couple of these videos, the video or your recommended video that pops up or even on the autoplay feature of YouTube, the algorithm suggests a kind of more extreme view of what that person was talking about. Um, so there was, a, there was a study that kind of, it looked at all the way these uh, political extremist groups are connected on um, YouTube and the way these figureheads of these groups are um interconnected on youtube and people like joe rogan were kind of like part of this and um it's very interesting uh but the idea is like so you watch this video about a mundane kind of political talking point and then the next video that gets showcased to you is just kind of like the next step up that extreme pipeline it doesn't seem super extreme to you that i was just listening to is talking about this this person's just kind of added on this extra layer of um ideas or ideology and then you know you kind of become familiar with that and you're like oh yeah I, I can see that and then the next video that's a, that's a little bit more extreme than that and and then because you're already kind of 
couched in the the ideas and you kind of you've warmed up to them a little bit you're like oh I, yeah okay cool i could be i could i could see that and you kind of become a little bit more drawn into that idea and and, and you know you're you know several tens hundreds of videos down and you're looking at like really intense extreme far you know i'll say far right political views you know um i don't know that that this is not the, the the conversation for that but there is this phenomenon of youtube's algorithm suggesting more and more and more extreme content to try and keep you because right, the idea is to keep you on the site they want to keep you clicking on videos they want to keep you watching ostensibly the same thing could be happening on site um porn websites like pornhub for example like the largest kind of porn website there is so i, I managed to dig up a couple of um couple of uh studies on this it's very scarce um because to get funding to study porn is difficult and then also to study porn websites is even more difficult um it was a, uh, a study, um, 2017, uh, that talked about the, well, the, the, the title of the study is a critique of Pornhub's video tagging algorithms and the rabbit hole that perpetuates mass exposure and desensitization to extreme. And this, um, the author, uh, kind of put a very similar idea forward, what I've just shared that, you know, you're watching a video on Pornhub. And in the underneath, there's a, um, a selection of things that are put forward by the by the Pornhub algorithm for you to watch, right? And you you click on the next one, and it's a little bit more intense or extreme, or it and so on and so forth, until you get pulled down this um, Pornhub rabbit hole, so to speak. You become desensitized. Not because it's something that you wanted or you felt was happening, but by the algorithm. Um, similarly, there was a uh, study done in 2020 called the Poe Test. Uh, it was Poe Test number one by, uh, uh, I guess, like online analysts. And they, uh, Italian analysts as well. So I had to translate the, the study, um, but they 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 found a bunch of things, but they also didn't find a lot of things unanswered. And they they found that Pornhub, um, with the stored list of watched videos, right, your previously watched videos, can infer a liked fetish and suggest it in the recommendations. So right, we don't know the Pornhub algorithm, we don't know the YouTube algorithm. We just know kind of what it does by observing it. These people did the same thing for Pornhub. They they found that you know, based on recommendations, Pornhub then infers something. Right, you might not have watched that particular fetish video, but watched it then recommends this video to you. And it says that we know for sure that the home page and recommended for you section depends on your past activity, which is kind of what I've just been saying. So there's a um, algorithms which. I don't think it's being had 
in the escalation conversation, right? Um, is it the algorithms that are driving the escalation and realization happening at a neurological level? You know, there's, there's a conversation there. So I don't know, it was just something that I wanted to bring in. I thought it was quite interesting. I tied into the escalation idea as like this and I'm, I'm, you know, this addiction problem with porn. And like I said before, um, and something I'm actually pretty tired of, to be honest with you, is, is porn addictive? Is porn not addictive? Like either way, it doesn't really fucking matter, right? At a, at a clinical and forensic and criminal level, it does matter, matters a lot. Um, but for the lay person, for you and I, um, I presume it doesn't really matter whether porn is secure or not. And I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit bored of that conversation. In fact, I'm, I'm a lot bored by that conversation. What's more interesting to me is everything else I've been talking about, all the other conversations that aren't being had. The whole conversation into is porn addictive, is porn not addictive. So, yes, I concede that behavioral addictions are real. They're a real thing, right? Um, and um, I'm familiar with the whole Gary, Wolf, Gary Wilson, your brain versus Nicole Prouse from Liberos uh, you know, debacle, the, the lawsuits and the counter lawsuits and the whole back and forth between the two of them. I'm familiar with it, like I'm tedious and, and I feel for the two of them. Um, and, you know, If I um, harken back to what I like, yeah, porn, mainstream porn, and the way that people are consuming it and the way that people are using it is causing some damage and it has caused damage and it will continue to cause damage until something is done about it. Something to be mindful if you know, you're listening to this and you kind of are struggling with porn or your partner struggling with porn is be mindful of the person who's putting forward this idea that porn is addictive and just check in to see if they're trying to a treatment to that addiction, right? Some of the loudest drum beaters, the loudest proponents of the porn addiction model are the same people that are selling porn addiction treatments. So, yeah, just just be mindful of that. Um, I'm not saying that there's anything nefarious going on by any means. I'm not saying that every person on addiction is making it up and and you know um, has is a bad actor or has bad intentions. But just be mindful of like who you're getting your information from. Um, so. You know, I'm not going to answer that question. Is porn addictive? Yes or no? So let's move on. <laughs> That's the end of part one of episode 52. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you want to continue on with this <laughs> very one-sided conversation, then jump over to part two where I'll talk about some more nuances regarding my opinions of pornography. Thanks again for listening.